We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to, place, came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Do you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Please tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. God. You may take your seats. Let's pray together before we dive in. Lord, we ask for your nearness and your help and your guidance and your rescue. We ask that you would put to death any attempts 
in our own hearts to rescue ourselves, to clean ourselves up, to make us more presentable, to appease you, to make you happy. And may we passively receive the great mercy that you have for us this morning and every morning. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning to you once again. Um, We've had a lot of new faces since um, we've kind of gotten back in person. So if, if you don't know, my name is Chase Dawes. I'm the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley, and if we haven't had the chance to meet, um, please introduce yourself after the service or in the coming weeks. Um, my wife and I worship here every week, so we're here every week. Um, I would love to meet you. We are uh, continuing in the Gospel of Luke this morning, um, and we're looking at what is easily one of the most familiar parables of Jesus, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, And as most of you know, this parable has made its way into our common vernacular. Just the other day, I was outside the church, and I was talking with a local store owner owner who referenced, um, quote, a good Samaritan who helped them when their car was broken into. There are lots of people that are familiar with this parable, but rarely do people fully understand what this parable is about. Most people think that this parable is about standing up for the right thing. It's about a Samaritan, or a good Samaritan, is someone who stands up for someone who is in need. It's about someone who stands up for the weak. A good Samaritan is someone who stands up for all manner of things that pertain to justice and kindness and goodness and so on. And so we think, I want to be a good Samaritan. That's the point of the parable. That's what a lot of us think this parable is about. I should be a good Samaritan. But parables are not little inspirational tales that are telling us how to live better lives. That's not what parables are. Okay, the parables of Jesus are like little kingdom bombs that reveal who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about to people who are often resistant to his message. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus only begins to speak in parables as religious people begin to oppose his ministry. That's when these stories start. So the parable of the Good Samaritan is not teaching you or me how to stand up for the right things. It's not teaching us that. It's actually teaching us quite the opposite. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to walk through the text, and we're going to look at three questions that are just all right here in this text that we just read. And here's the first question. First question is in verse 25, and it's, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? This is the question that a lawyer asks Jesus right here at the beginning of our passage. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's a a couple of things that you should know about this lawyer. The first thing is that this is no ordinary lawyer. This is a religious scholar, 
right? And he is schooled in Mosaic law in the Old Testament. It's like a seminary professor, okay? And so he, he knows his stuff. That's the first thing. Secondly, I want you to notice his motives. Notice his motives. The text says that he's testing Jesus. Okay, so this is not a genuine question in search of an answer. There's ulterior motives here. And then the third thing that I want you to notice is what he's doing. What is he doing? He's, he's standing. The beginning of the passage says, text says that he stood up. So why is he doing all of this? Why is this Old Testament scholar standing up and testing Jesus in front of this crowd? And the answer is in verse 29. If we go down just a few verses, it says that he wanted to justify himself. And so what does he do? He takes a stand. He wants to justify himself, so he takes a stand and he speaks up. He takes a stand for what he believes in. He takes a stand for his own reputation. He takes a stand to show Jesus just who knows his stuff. Right? This guy had a lot of nerve. He's like, as, as all of you know, he's like that guy in class. You all know that guy. Sometimes it's that girl, but it's usually that guy. The guy who stands up and he asks a question, but in reality, he's just showing everybody in the room that he knows everything, and he's trying to impress his classmates and his professor. Like, we know that guy. I went to seminary, so I really know those kinds of guys. I probably did it myself, sadly. I was that guy that folks were like, please shut up. We don't care. Just want to get out of class. But look, here's the point. Okay, here's the point. The lawyer has no interest in the answer to this question. He has no interest in the answer to this question. His interests are elsewhere. He wants to challenge Jesus to undermine him, and he wants to justify himself. That's what he's doing. He's not taking a stand for truth. He's taking a stand for himself. Like, remember the context here. Jesus is teaching. He calls him teacher. So presumably everybody is seated, and this guy stands up. This is all self-serving. And honestly, I resonate with this. I resonate with this. There's nothing wrong with defending what we believe to be true or good or beautiful. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're so naive about the conditions of our hearts. Because often when we are taking a stand for something, we aren't really interested or concerned with the issue or the cause or whatever it may be. We're not concerned with the issue itself. We're more concerned with being right and being seen. Just like this lawyer. That's why he's asking these loaded questions. What do I have to do? He knows what he has to do. He just wants Jesus to know that and everybody else watching. And Jesus, Jesus knows what he's up to. He's not surprised by this. And that's why Jesus actually turns the question back on him. And he asks him, well, what's written in the law? That's another way of just asking what's written in the Bible. And guess what? The lawyer answers correctly. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love neighbor. That is the summary of God's commandments. And he is right. And Jesus says, that is exactly right. Good job. Go and do that. Go and do that. So just a couple quick thoughts here. First, kind of as a total aside, I want you to notice that Jesus, okay, Jesus is pointing this man to the Bible. He's pointing him to the Bible, and specifically here, the scary Old Testament. And, and listen to what he's saying. I want you to let that sink in. We hear this all the time, that Jesus was this great man and this great teacher. And so let me just challenge us this morning. Look at what he's teaching us right now. If we want to be connected to the life of God and grow in intimacy with God, to have eternal life with God. How do we do that? Where do we go for that? And according to Jesus, we go to the scriptures. We go to the Bible, even the Old Testament. That's where Jesus goes, so let's listen to him. All right, let's listen to him. But secondly, and more to the point of this sermon, I see myself in this lawyer. I see myself in him, and I'm wondering if you see yourself as well. I mean, think about this. How often do I, and it, it is often, how often have I quoted Jesus himself in order to avoid Jesus? Hiding behind the words of Jesus and hiding behind the words of the Bible. These are the exact words the lawyer utters and the same words are the ones that Jesus uses in Matthew and Mark. Jesus has said this exact same thing. We can quote Jesus all day long and not have a clue of who he is. And let's just shelve religion and Christianity and Jesus for a second. Maybe you're exploring this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian yet, but you've got a lot of questions. Let's just kind of put that to the side for a second. How many times do we just parrot the right answers when our hearts are so numb to the reality those answers address? Dare I say, all the time. At least I'll speak on my behalf. Millennials, we do that all the time. I'm just calling us out. Probably Gen Zers too. We use all the right hashtags. We spew all the right critiques and criticisms. We express all the right outrage and anger. But the moment that we walk away and the audience is gone and we're hidden in the comfort of our little world, our hearts would rather binge Netflix. Did this last night. Our hearts would rather binge Netflix than exert one ounce of emotional energy towards the cause that we're supposedly champions of. Okay? We parrot. We parrot these answers. So just like the lawyer, we take stands all the time. We'll take a stand for the right answers. We just don't care about them. We just don't care about them. So with this first question, what do I do? The lawyer is, is in summary, he's standing up in front of Jesus and he's attempting to justify himself, right? But, but self-salvation projects are always endless. And so the lawyer digs his heels in and he asks another question to Jesus. And the question is this. 
who do I have to love? What do I have to do? And who do I have to love? That's the gist of what the lawyer is asking here in verse 29 when he asks, and who is my neighbor? He knows that he has to love God, but there are so many neighbors out there that surely he can't love all of these people. And so he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you just give me a doable little checklist of neighbors so I don't exert any unnecessary energy? That's, that's the motive, right? He's trying to justify himself. Who do I have to love? And so here is where Jesus throws in this parable. He tells him a parable about a good Samaritan. Now remember what I said at the beginning. Parables expose who we are and they reveal who Jesus is and what his kingdom is about. So let's just start right there. How does this parable expose who we are? How does it expose who we are? Well, the first thing it exposes is that religious people are so obsessed with doing that we never hear the questions God is asking. We are so consumed with doing that we never hear the questions that God is asking. The reason Jesus tells this parable in the first place is because although the lawyer answered his previous question correctly, like what does the Bible say, and he knew that, he still doesn't get what's going on here. He doesn't get that God doesn't ask us questions because he wants to know the answers. God asks us questions because he wants to know us. That's why God asks us questions. He wants to remove what we're hiding behind in order to avoid him so that he can know us. I mean, I, I, I ask this question to students all the time. I ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? And almost always they answer in terms of things Christians do. They do they read their Bible, they don't cuss, they don't smoke, they don't drink. They go to church all the time. They serve, they smile, they tuck their shirt in. We all have this lawyer in us, right? We're so obsessed with doing that we can't hear the questions that God is asking us, and therefore we don't see the work that God is trying to do in us. That's the first thing. The second thing this parable exposes is that we have a false sense of self. We have a false sense of self, like the lawyer most of us, we hear this parable and we conclude that we're supposed to be the Good Samaritan. We're supposed to be the Good Samaritan. But in reality, Jesus is saying, you're not the Good Samaritan. You're the person half dead and dying on the side of the road. That's what Jesus is saying. We overestimate our, our ability because we're obsessed with doing. We have this false sense of self. And so we think that we're able to do the things that God requires of us without the mercy that God has given to us. I mean, if you notice throughout this whole passage, not once does the lawyer mention his need for God. Not once. Just tell me what I should do. And Jesus kind of plays his game a little bit. He's like, go and do likewise. See if you can do it. And he simply says, Jesus, what's the bare minimum that I have to do to inherit the good life, to have eternal life, to live forever? 
To bring it back to the language that we used earlier, he's saying, what do I have to take a stand for to be a good person? Do I have to take a stand for the Ten Commandments in the courtroom or prayer in school or this cause or that cause? What do I have to take a stand for? And Jesus is saying, how can you stand when you're half dead on the side of the road? That's what Jesus is saying. We have this warped view of our reality and our ability, and so we have a false sense of self. The last thing this parable exposes is that we are helpless. We're helpless. We have been beaten, and we have been robbed, and we have been left for dead, just like the man in this parable on the side of the road. We've been left for dead by the fall. The sin and the brokenness in our hearts and the sin and the brokenness in our world has left us utterly helpless to save ourselves. Utterly helpless to save ourselves and justify ourselves. Yes, you can do a lot to polish a corpse. You can put nice clothes on it. You can comb its hair. You can inject embalming fluid into it to make it look more alive. You can even place it in an expensive, swanky casket. But in the end, it's still a helpless corpse. And I want you to hear me now because this is why legalism and moralism, what this lawyer is doing, this is why taking a stand for all your pseudo-saviors is so deadly. This is why it's so deadly. If you don't understand your need for Jesus, you will create a purity culture that leaves needy neighbors dying on the side of the road. That's what the priest and the Levite were doing. They were just trying to maintain their ceremonial purity. Like the priest and the Levite and the lawyer, you think that you're living this upright, moral, admirable life, but in reality... People are dying, yourself included, as you walk through life, preserving your pristine image and your sense of moral superiority. That's what this kind of life actually does to us. If we don't recognize that we ourselves are helpless and in need. We are not good Samaritans. I'm sorry, we are not good Samaritans. We are in need of a good Samaritan. Well, I want us to look now at the last question that's in this passage. And this last question, it doesn't come from the lawyer. The last question that I'm going to mention at least, it comes from a woman named Martha. Now, you might be asking yourself, why are we including this random story about Mary and Martha? What's that have to do with the Good Samaritan? And I want you to know that as I was reading um, Luke chapter 10, I asked myself that exact same question. Right? There's this, this parable about a Good Samaritan. And then right after that, there's these five verses about Mary and Martha. And then chapter 10 is over. Why did Luke, the writer of this gospel, why did he put this here? Why is Mary and Martha in this chapter? And the answer is that these five verses 
are the key to unlocking everything Jesus is saying in the previous 13. Okay, so let's take a look at it. Here's Martha's question. Who's going to help? Who's going to help? Now let me give you a little bit of context here, right? Jesus, Jesus has gone about his business, and he comes to this little village, and a woman named Martha and her sister Mary, they invite Jesus into their home, and Martha, Martha is playing host, and she is a good host, it appears to be, because she is busy. She is busy making sure that Jesus feels at home. She is standing up and she is walking around and she is running around and she is doing all of these things for Jesus. The text says that she was distracted with much serving in verse 40. And I mean, you would too, right? If, if Jesus was in my home or in your home, I would feel the pressure to throw away all the empty, cheap beer bottles, to light a candle, to put out a cheese board of the finest cheeses, Maybe the most expensive bottle of wine. Jesus likes wine, I've heard. It'd be kind of nerve-wracking. I'd be doing all this stuff to make sure that Jesus feels at home in my home. But after a while, Martha, she gets a little fed up. She gets tired of it. And she, she goes to Jesus and she says, Do you not care that I'm doing all of this work for you alone? Tell my sister to help me. Who is going to help me? You see, that's what happens when you base your identity off of your work and off of your performance and off of your good deeds. When you're just a busybody for God and you're trying to make God happy, you begin to get frustrated with other people who won't live up to the standard that you've created. And just like Martha, you get irritable, and we get anxious. I mean, performance anxiety is a real thing, right? You get anxious, and, and we get troubled because you're, you're taking a stand for all the right things, and you're doing all the right things, but, but nothing seems to be paying off, and no one, no one seems to be recognizing you or singing your praises, and you're not getting the affirmation from others that you work so hard for. And like Mary, you are fed up, and you're going to Jesus, just like the lawyer, and you're saying, aren't I doing enough? Tell somebody else to be like me and do something. Who's going to help me? And Jesus, gentle as he almost always is, Jesus comes to us like he comes to Mary and he says, or Martha, excuse me. He comes to us like he comes to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha. Chase, Chase. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will never be taken from her. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to us in this parable? 
all you're serving, it can be good. There's a, there's a way to serve well and honor God. But you can never be a good Martha until you're a Mary. You can never be a good Samaritan until you have a good Samaritan. You see, all your work and good deeds, they will be taken from us. They will be taken from you. Someone can do it better. You'll lose your edge. You'll get lazy on the job. Somehow it will be taken from you. And all your accolades and all the accomplishments and all the admiration, it will be gone. But Jesus will never be taken from you. Jesus will never be taken from us. So as I close here, I want you to just notice something that happens at the beginning and the end of the passage that we just read. While Martha is standing up and doing all this stuff, and at the very first verse, while this lawyer is standing up and asking all of these questions trying to justify himself, I want you to look at what Mary is doing. What is she doing? She is sitting down. Mary is sitting down. She is sitting down at the feet of Jesus, and she is listening to every word that comes from his mouth. Friends, we are not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus binds our wounds and tends to our injuries. Jesus picks us up and places us upon himself. And Jesus brings us to a shelter and he cares for us until we are healed. And Jesus purchases us with his life on the cross and he pays for all of our debts, all the things that we've done in the past, in the present, and in the future. So hear these words from Jesus. Don't be quick to take a stand when you can take a seat at the feet of our good neighbor, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, um, indeed, no matter our efforts, you overcome our efforts. You tend to our wounds even when we try to resist you. You are our good neighbor who rescues us, half dead and dying on the side of the road. And you make us alive to walk in good deeds after you as we sit even then at your feet. We pray that you would make these words more beautiful and more believable than anything that vies for our heart's affection. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.